25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Oh, <laughs> 
Heulen tut sich freien, was im Kiss jetzt mit Steien. Hast du es viel am Maien, für Taten dem Getreien. Heu eine Lad für Weihen, heu Äser in mein Eien. Sie weh, man kennt mich schreien, zum Taten dem Getreien. Excuse me, J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning broadcast from our New York City studios with Lipa and Hentelach. You heard Yaakov Shweki, One Heart, and Yishtabach Shemo. Yoel Sharabi had Shalom Aleichem, Elokai, done by Shalshelis Jr. Eitan Freilich had Eliyahu, and from Regesh, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday, final day of January 2020. It's the 31st, day five in the month of Shvat, the year 5780, Tuf Shin Pei. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bo with candle lighting time at 4.51 in the New York area. 4.51, your official candle lighting time. 35 degrees, cloudy today with a high of 45. Tonight, showers early with a low of 38. And tomorrow, cloudy skies and a high of 47 degrees. We're at 50 right now in Yerushalayim. 35 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, so much to talk about. Uh, first of all, remember what's going on this weekend. Uh, this weekend uh, on uh, on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be at Eichler's in Borough Park. 
Barry Weiss, author of the book How to Fight Anti-Semitism, is our guest. Uh, she'll be at Eichler's. They'll be selling books starting at 1 o'clock. She'll be signing books starting at 1 o'clock. And we'll be speaking with plenty of special guests, plus Barry Weiss, columnist for the New York Times and author of the book, um, uh, during our broadcast. Again, we're there 1 until 3. We're there 1 until 3 Sunday. We're the guests of Eichler's in Borough Park. Barry Weiss is going to be there. And uh, you should come meet her. Um, she's an amazing journalist and, um, and, uh, and get the book and get the book signed and, uh, and read the book. It is a really comprehensive look at the state of, um, of, of jury in the U S and other parts of the world, uh, today. It really is. So, uh, check that out and we'll be on, you'll be able to hear us at nahomsegal.com. Of course, you'll be able to see us on Facebook live. Uh, so that's all happening Sunday. Then Sunday night, Kosher Halftime Show becomes available to everybody. Kosher Halftime Show becomes available Sunday night. Uh, that'll be uh, starting at about, I guess, somewhere between 7.30 and 8 o'clock, right? Eastern time. As we get closer to halftime, usually with about five minutes left to the half, we post it at NahumSiegel.com and start distributing it through Facebook and other means. Uh, so the Kosher Halftime Show presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm that's going to be coming up. Sunday night. A big thank you to all of our sponsors, including Azer Mitzion and Steinreich Communications and Abels and Hyman and Kosher.com and Keiko and, of course, Rothenberg Law Firm and everybody who's uh, responsible for the Kosher Halftime Show. A big thank you going out to Simcha Liner and Ashley Blaker and, of course, Mayor Kay, uh, all of whom are stars in this year's uh, Kosher Halftime Show. So um, lots of excitement. That's an understatement. Lots of excitement as we get set for Sunday. And I hope you'll come out to Brooklyn and say hi in the early part of the day. And I hope you'll be ready for the uh, Big Kosher Halftime Show in the uh, latter part of the day as the game progresses. Speaking of games, last night I was there. It's Sweet 16, 16 in a row for the Yeshiva University men's basketball team, the Maccabees. 16 in a row. Simcha Halpert, who we, uh, who we feared would not make the game because of an injury, Played and was an absolute superstar with 33 points. Um, so congratulations to Simcha. Congratulations to Coach Elliot Steinmetz and the entire team. Uh, a great performance last night against Purchase in what is generally considered the game of the year, uh, or at least has generally been considered that for the last few weeks, that it would be the game of the year. And now we move on to uh, another game at the Max Stern Athletic Center on a Saturday night. It's five Saturday nights in a row. They won last week, and now tomorrow night, It'll be a Saturday night game against Manhattanville beginning at 8.30. We are encouraging everybody around the Jewish world and, and every world to come out and enjoy the game. Uh, the guys are making us very, very proud. They are on this historic streak, and we are just uh, hoping it keeps on going. So uh, Yeshiva University basketball, strong as ever, 16 in a row, and uh, your opportunity to, um, uh, to see them tomorrow night beginning at 8.30 at the Max Stern Athletic Center up at Yeshiva University in Washington Heights. All right? So plenty going on. And, uh, of course, basketball among the <laughs> among the most important things going on. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, more coming up. It's a Friday, Erev Shabbos at JM and the AM. Guess what? One hour from now, it's Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up here at JM and the AM. We call it the weekly update, and, boy, there's a lot to update about this week with the deal of the century and much, much more. Uh, so Malcolm Honline, he will be our uh, he'll be our guest at 7:40 Eastern time, 
Uh, the uh, weekly update is coming your way here at JM in the AM, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. By the way, we are going to check in with Morty Getz uh, at Eichler's and Borough Park. He'll invite everybody in the 7 o'clock hour to come out on Sunday for the event we discussed with Barry Weiss. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. And then Seth Levitt is scheduled to join us. He might be the most important person in America this coming Sunday. Seth Levitt might be the most important person in America this coming Sunday because if you're eating delicious and incredible kosher hot dogs and salamis and sausages and everything else, if you're eating them this coming Sunday, chances are uh, you're eating them from uh, Seth's beloved A&H company. So we'll discuss with him just how much preparation went into uh, distributing enough hot dogs around the country uh, for this coming Sunday's game. And we'll have that for you here at JM in the AM. Yankee Lemmers next. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Oh, <laughs> 
ups and downs we call living thank you for the good times and the better times thank you for the rainy days and sunshine thank you for the journey that we're journeying for all the lessons we are learning thank you for the good times and the better times So to you I raise this cup of mine Smile shining Keep the blessings coming Till the cups overflowing Blessing upon your head Blessing upon your head Smile shining Keep the blessings coming Till the cups overflowing Blessing upon your head For good news that we're hearing Thank you for new suits that we're wearing Thank you for good times and the better times So to you I raise this cup of mine This cup of Upon your head 
JM in the AM, one of the stars of Kosher Halftime Show 2020, presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm. That's Simcha Liner here on a Friday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Yeah, that is a good song, or a good medley, I should say. Uh, comes off Project Relax Israeli Edition. Uh, really good stuff here at JM the M. Avremo had uh, Yerushalayim Shabalev. You heard Dory Yikroff in the Maccabees. Eighth day with thank you in Chazan Yanki Lemmer with Yismach Moshe here at JM in the AM. We are having uh, difficulty with our news feed from Israel, so we are not going to be able to present our news in Hebrew as we usually do on a weekday here at JM in the AM, but we will continue with plenty more at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NahumSiegel.com. On the NahumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. And I thank you all for tuning in. And for um, and for all the interest that so many of you have in what's happening this weekend. 1 o'clock this coming Sunday. Oh, by the way, exceptional programming for the weekend obviously begins tomorrow night. I mean, you know, it, it, essentially it begins uh, uh, after JM and the AM with, uh, with everything that we do on Fridays. But tomorrow night, I've run me host Saturday Night Siegel. And then Matis Weingas continues an amazing tradition of providing incredible Sunday morning programming starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday. And Matis has uh, contacted me overnight and let me know that on Sunday, um, Daniel Chertoff is going to be his guests, his, his guest rather. Uh, his Sunday morning guest is Daniel Chertoff, author of the book Palestine Posts, an eyewitness account of the birth of Israel. Daniel Chertoff is Matis' guest this coming Sunday morning during, during JM Sunday here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and that's how our Sunday is going to start. Then we move to 1 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, we're going to be with Barry Weiss at Eichler's in Borough Park. Barry Weiss is the author of the book, How to Fight Anti-Semitism. They will be selling her book at Eichler's. You'll be able to get your book signed by her at Eichler's starting at 1 o'clock. And we're going to be doing a show, which will include a conversation with her, uh, between 1 and 3 p.m. on Sunday at Eichler's in Borough Park. So join us for that, 13th Avenue and 50th Street in Brooklyn, New York. Very much looking forward to that on Sunday. And then, of course, Sunday night, Kosher Halftime Show. We mentioned Simcha Liner, uh, Mayor Kay, Ashley Blaker, all part of it. And we're getting ready for a Kosher Halftime Show 2020 presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm with some amazing sponsors, including Azer Mitzion, A&H, um, Kosher.com, Keiko, Steinreich Communications, and a big thank you to all of them as we make that show, the Kosher Halftime Show 2020, available to the public Sunday night, just before halftime of the big game. So that's what's going on. It's a big weekend, a very big weekend for us, to say the least. A very big weekend for us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, Malcolm Honline joins us 40 minutes from now. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. 40 minutes from now, the weekly update at JM and the AM. Hakorak mechaech ve yes, 
פחות טובים, שלא הכל הולך רע. אם נאמין, נראה את כל הטוב, ואז נשאיר חזק בכל קדום. אז תשאירו, תשאירו, אז תריעו, תריעו. Thank <laughs> you. 
הודעות, אדון הנפלאות, ריבון כל המעשים, הבוחר בשירי זמרה, מלך יחיד, אל
first time ever there Strapped into his knapsack with his long curly hair He stood there for a while Then broke out with a smile Motion overwhelming joy with tears The men were dancing there The heart so full of love They sang such happy tunes To thank the one above For showing them the way For giving them a day To rest, rejoice with peace of mind To pray Shabbos came along, his feelings grew so strong, he first began to feel that he belonged. Let's sing and dance. 
Now the classic from MBD, just one Shabbos, Menucha V'Simcha. That was that was my mistake heading <laughs> heading to that song a bit earlier than I anticipated. That was Ari Goldwag, Isaac Beton with Summer. You heard Shira Shvacha done by Yitzchak Fuchs, uh, Benny Friedman and Tashiru to open up the hour. Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos Parshas Bo, candle lighting in New York at 451. Remember, Sunday's a big day. Told you about Matis Weingast, JM Sunday on Sunday morning. Got a special guest. He's on between 7 and 9 a.m. And Matis is coming Sunday. Is uh, going to welcome uh, Daniel Chertoff to the air. Uh, he wrote the book Palestine Post, an eyewitness account of the birth of Israel. And Hobie Matis is guest Sunday morning. Sunday at 1 o'clock, we are in Borough Park, Eichler's. More details about that in a few minutes when Morty Getz joins us. Barry Weiss is going to be our special guest, and we'll explain how that's going to work. And, of course, Sunday night, Kosher Halftime Show presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm and our amazing sponsors. That becomes available halftime on Sunday. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Shreya, 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 
It's Hazen Yanki Lemmer with his version of Rosa the Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos Parshas Bo. 35 degrees, cloudy in New York with a high of 45 degrees. Well, we've been telling you about the big Sunday we have, the uh, amazing JM Sunday program that Matis is preparing for Sunday. Um, that's going to be a, uh, a blockbuster because he's uh, including in his program Daniel Chertoff, author of the book Palestine Posts, an eyewitness account of the birth of Israel. Uh, then I mentioned, of course, the Kosher Halftime Show, which be- which becomes available to the public uh, during the uh, latter part of the first half of the big game Sunday night. In between, we're going to be in Borough Park, Brooklyn, and we're looking forward to an amazing visit. We have been invited by um, Eichler's in Borough Park, 13th Avenue at 50th Street, to be there between 1 and 3 p.m. with the incredible journalist and author Barry Weiss. She's written the book, how to Fight Anti-Semitism. She will be there. They'll be selling her book. She'll be signing her book. And we get an opportunity to speak with her and many other special guests between 1 and 3 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Sunday at Borough Park Eichler's. Of course, you can hear the entire thing here at NahumSiegel.com. You can see the entire thing at Facebook.com slash NahumSiegel Network. And with us live via telephone is the gentleman responsible for our invitation to Borough Park this coming Sunday. That's Morty Getz. Uh, from Borough Park Eichlers, who has arranged for us to be there, for Barry Weiss to be there, and for an incredible afternoon this coming Sunday. Morty, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. How are you? Baruch Hashem. A pleasure to have you here. I know that the uh, uh, you've made a tremendous effort to get special guests into the store and to really um, uh, spread the word about so many amazing books and so many incredible things that are available out there uh, in, the, um, in, in the world of... Uh, of uh, uh, publishing. Um, tell me about Barry Weiss. Why is she coming to Borough Park, Brooklyn, this coming Sunday? So just a little bit Barry Weiss. 
She's very famous for her journalism, but even more famous about her battle against anti-Semitism. Now, in the past few years, there's a lot of polarization in America and hate crimes or anti-Semitism. When it's done on the left, it's called that on the right. If it's done on the right, it's called that on the left. Barry has been one of the only uh, voices, from those that have a voice, obviously, that calls out anti-Semitism wherever it pops up. It's ugly head sticks there. She's there. Now, the recent anti-Semitic attacks were mostly centered in the tri-state, so especially in the Haredi community. So she really thought it's the right time to come and discuss her book, Have to Fight Anti-Semitism, engage people from the community. And she's the right person in the right time on the right subject. Uh, it's going to be quite an event, and we'll have an opportunity to speak with her at length. And, of course, you're referring to episodes like Muncie, Jersey City, etc., uh, where members of the firm community were uh, targeted, and uh, that is just in addition to uh, uh, members of uh, of other segments of the Jewish community who have been targeted over the last couple of years in these episodes. She's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and actually grew up uh, in the synagogue that was attacked last year. That certainly adds an element to it. And you've heard, and you, first of all, you've read, like we have, uh, her incredible book, and you've heard her speak on this topic. She's extremely passionate, and the fact that they attacked her hometown, frankly, I'm sure has something to do with it. Correct. Uh, and we'll get a chance to speak to her about that this coming Sunday and about our trips to Pittsburgh, uh, both after the episode and a year later, which we did just a few months ago. Morty Getz is with us live via telephone. Eichler's in Borough Park is hosting us this coming Sunday, starting at 1 p.m. Barry Weiss will be there. They'll be selling the book. She'll be signing the book. of an opportunity uh, to meet her and really meet one of the people who's on the front lines in the battle against anti-Semitism and spreading the word about what's really happening against the Jewish community out there. Uh, Morty, how about a general word about what's going on at Borough Park Eichler's? Um, uh, I said earlier that uh, you and your staff have made an effort to really um, highlight some of the things that are uh, spectacular in the world of Jewish publishing and of interest in general uh, to the Jewish community. How has that effort gone? So the support has been amazing. When we grew up, there were very few options for someone in Barapak to read in terms of quality books. last 20 years have seen five, six good big publishers each one putting out amazing books. Now, there's very little engagement between authors and book readers, and we changed that. We had a book signing week. We brought more than 20 authors. Each one brought out a lot of fans, whether it's adult books, cookbooks, or children's books that had children coming in. Right. It was beautiful to see people connecting to the most favorite authors, and we look forward to increase that engagement. People don't have to come buy a book nowadays. They could read things online. But the excitement of meeting authors that actually had the talent to write those books that engage people's interests is turning this into sort of what we call a community center rather than just a bookstore. So when people come in on Sunday, they'll get that feeling that obviously they'll have an opportunity to buy uh, Barry Weiss's book and have her uh, sign it for them. But in addition, they'll see thousands and thousands of offerings around the store that'll be of interest to them. Yes, and they'll feel at the forefront of a battle because she's standing at the forefront. We all know President Kennedy's line. Uh, the only thing needed for the triumph of evil is for good people to remain silent. And here we have a good person that doesn't stay silent. None. So I'm sure everybody's going to feel good being part of it. Well, we appreciate the invitation. Look forward to this opportunity. And I'm uh, very much looking forward to speaking with her 
uh, on Sunday and uh, having a nice crowd there greet her and uh, take advantage of the fact that she's visiting uh, Borough Park, Brooklyn. By the way, Morty, you can confirm that she's so busy that she's likely not to return to Brooklyn for a while. So if someone wants to see her and speak with her, this Sunday would be the time. Yes, and it's not often that Malcolm Siegel's here either. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. So anybody who wants to speak with me or my team will be there as well. I look forward to seeing you Sunday, and I thank you for the invitation. Wish you a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos. Morty Getz, uh, uh, he is um, at Eichler's in Borough Park, Brooklyn. We are there Sunday in the middle part of Super Bowl Sunday, uh, the middle part of Super Sunday. I should, uh, I should uh, address it properly. Um, at 1 p.m. with Barry Weiss, author of the book, How to uh, Fight Anti-Semitism. Come on out. They'll be selling the book. She'll be signing the book. I'll have an opportunity to speak with her, and you'll have an opportunity to ask questions and uh, engage with her as well um, off the air. So um, uh, be there, 13th Avenue, 50th Street, Borough Park, Brooklyn. As Morty said, it's unique uh, that in uh, Borough Park, Brooklyn, you get an opportunity um, to, uh, to attend an event like this, and Borough Park Eichlers is making these events more uh, available more on a regular basis, a collective to them. Uh, so again, uh, this coming Sunday, 1 p.m., make sure to be there, Borough Park Eichlers in Brooklyn, New York, um, 13th Avenue and 50th Street. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us next. It is time for the weekly update. He is coming up next if you keep it right here at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Shalshelis with um, Anim Zmirot. Baruch Abitan before that with Adon Alam. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Bo, candlelighting in New York at 4.51. I think today's going to be a record breaker. It's obvious uh, based on our, uh, based on, this, on the things and uh, the statistics that we see in front of us that a lot of people are anxious to hear what Malcolm Holmline has to say about the deal of the century and everything else that happened this week. We'll get there in a second. Jewish, uh, JewishWorldReview.com gives you an opportunity every single week to uh, print out hundreds of articles about Israel and the Jewish world and then read them over Shabbos or whenever you wish. Uh, check it out. Amazing articles with uh, lots of opinions and uh, many personalities. JewishWorldReview.com. Again, that's JewishWorldReview.com. Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Reminder, Kosher Halftime Show Sunday night. Reminder, 1 o'clock Sunday, we're with Barry Weiss at Eichler's in Borough Park. You can catch the entire thing both at NahumSiegel.com audio-wise and, of course, uh, Facebook.com slash NahumSiegel Network video-wise. And um, and that's all happening starting at 1 p.m. on Sunday. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays at JM and the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Well, thank you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. Well, you know the big question. A lot of people are asking it. What do you think of the deal of the century? Well, it's obviously a complicated question, which is why people are asking about it. And I think even the people who are involved in the process are still asking many questions. I was at the ceremony in um, in the White House, and, and I have to say that it was um, uh, very encouraging, and it was very exciting in the sense that uh, obviously the audience was uh, self-selective, but it, it, um, the, the focus on what the president had to say and the response by the prime minister clearly said that this was a unique opportunity and a unique moment. And when you have an administration that is as committed as it is, um, it, it is a statement in and of itself. Look, I think it's premature to draw conclusions. What I think people are excited and, and optimistic is about the opportunity that perhaps this will be a breakthrough. And if the Palestinians, unlike past agreements, don't come through, it doesn't stop Israel from being able to move ahead on some of the provisions in the agreement. And the, the already the fact that the government of Israel postponed the discussion 
and that there were already some statements coming out from people involved, uh, let's say, uh, redefining what people had understood from the initial announcement uh, and the pressure not to annex and even maybe not to apply sovereignty right away um, is an indication of that. But it, it is to be expected because it's, it is such a complex arrangement. It's 80 pages. So first it put the lie to all of those who said that there wasn't really a deal and they didn't have a document and were skeptical and mocking of the process. One has to congratulate the people involved because it's a very thoughtful, very detailed, and yet it's only the first stage because you have to get down with very fine maps and, and look at connecting roads. You have to look at where lines would be. This is, let's say, a 10,000-foot look. You've got to get down to the one-foot look to be able to actually implement uh, a lot of the provisions. But the principle that Israeli sovereignty would be applied to, let's say, the Jordan Valley and other areas, something that Yigal alone already had proposed, others had proposed and saw, that is the natural uh, boundary and important to, to Jordan, important to Israel, uh, that uh, control be maintained there. Otherwise, it becomes an open uh, gateway for terrorists to attack both countries, but also for Iran to continue to push through Iraq into Jordan and put them right on the border as they are in Gaza, as they are in Lebanon. Uh, I think people should look at the uh, at the document and at the reports, both of the president's remarks and the prime minister's remarks, uh, which drew, as you know, a lot of applause because they were, um, I think, addressing an issue that everybody wants to see solved. The fact that three Arab ambassadors were there, uh, the UAE, Bahrain, and Oman, uh, and were joined in statements afterwards by the Egyptians, the Saudis, others, um, supportive of moving ahead on the agreement, and I think putting pressure on the Palestinians to finally stop the obfuscation, stop the, the, the um, obstacles that they keep placing in the way of any kind of progress as they have for the last century. And every time that there wasn't a negotiation, the Palestinians, the Arabs said no, and the Jews said yes. And now we have an opportunity in, with a deal that provides a lot for the Palestinians, the distorted media coverage that this is only a one-sided deal when, in fact, the Palestinians get up to $50 billion in investments and, and aid, that they get defined borders, that they get a state, that they get the recognition by Israel of it. And the prime minister said it at the, at the conference and in accepting uh, participation in the process uh, that, that that essentially is a, a new breakthrough in, in terms of uh, the positions governments of Israel have taken, uh, and and that they would have contiguity, they would double the land under their control. Israel would retain 30 percent, they would get 70 percent. I guess there would be land swaps, uh, as have been discussed before. So the idea that this is completely one-sided, that Israel has to make concessions in this, as any deal would have uh, demanded. Uh, and many people are jumping to conclusions and criticisms and statements, both from the left and the right, without actually reading right. what the framework provides. It's interesting. I, I think, um, in a way, um, uh, the PA or you know representatives of that you know general uh, opinion, um, meaning the, the best interests or self-interests of those who are on the other side of this issue, I think they did a good job in advance of um, of propagandizing this whole process. 
that it would be one-sided and that one, one, once, once it became available to the public, once it became uh, public information, what's in this deal, it, it was sort of like, you know, a fait accompli that everything that they had predicted in terms of the one-sidedness came true. And I think they did a good job with that propaganda leading up to this. And they had time to do it. This took a, this took a while to get this plan out there, uh, as we know. Um, the other thing is, is, is there a practical difference? If there is, got to explain it to us. Is there a practical difference between annexation and sovereignty? So I've asked this question many times <laughs> myself. Uh, and, and by the way, we should remember that they worked on this three years. Right. And that they went into such detail, uh, much more so than other proposals in the past, and, and I think is a more realistic guideline to, to erode to the final whatever agreement is reached between the parties. Right. Um, in terms of annexation, I think if there is a legal difference, sovereignty means that, that they, they will be in charge and make the decisions. Annexation means that it becomes part of the state of Israel. Right. So, I mean, legally. So there is a distinction, I'm told, but it's a legal distinction in terms of uh, on the ground. If the Jordan Valley being under Israeli sovereignty means Israeli troops control it, that Israel, uh, Israeli law would apply there, uh, that, um, so the distinction becomes somewhat blurred. Now, now, you were there in Washington, so we, c- we can imagine that the, the type of people, the, the, the names and titles of people that you spoke to uh, both before, during, and after this announcement. Uh, how is it that this annexation rumor started immediately, that the second this, this speech ended, it seemed like the first news item that came out is that on Sunday, meaning this coming Sunday, the Israeli cabinet is voting on annexation. Then we heard it was postponed till Tuesday, and now based on what you're telling us, we really don't know if there will or won't be a vote in the immediate future. How did that start right away like that? Well, because of statements the Prime Minister and others made in the course of uh, the build-up to the elections in Israel, when you've had so many comment statements at different uh, times. So the issue of annexation was really raised from that uh, perspective, uh, and people then uh, jumped on it, not knowing the distinction and not listening to what was actually said about applying sovereignty but the U.S. clearly put pressure on them not to do anything until after the elections in Israel, and I guess want to give time for the uh, all the parties to 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 absorb what was proposed. And to, they're trying to get support from others. As you notice, Jordan hasn't uh, supported. It's actually quite critical. Um, Egypt expressed reservations. I mean, no, everybody, uh, all the parties uh, will, because this is a very complicated. And and uh, and demanding process, and, and people don't understand. They think it's just a question of saying yes or no, or, or agreeing to some to, to the details. You have to see how does it how does it lay out? How do they connect the roads? How do they assure the security? How do they build the tunnel to Gaza, linking the West Bank and Gaza? You know, it's not it's easy to say it. It's very difficult to do it. Uh, I think the Prime Minister was very forthcoming in his remarks. I think it was smart that uh, Gantz was invited. The fact that the two major parties in Israel accept this agreement, uh, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of criticism coming from uh, here, even from some uh, organ- uh, Jewish organizations um, who, who I think didn't read it because their criticism is so one-sided about uh, the Palestinians. Right. The fact is, 
Palestinians are the ones who have refused to cooperate and to participate with administration officials in the drafting and in the discussions. Was Gantz in the room? I know it may sound like a silly question. Was he in the room? Because you wouldn't have noticed it from the coverage I saw. No, he went back right away. He came Ah. for our meeting on Monday, and then he returned because he wanted to be part of the vote on immunity, and then the prime minister withdrew his immunity request. So he was already back in Israel. So the prime minister clearly won the PR battle, if there was one, between him and his opponent during this visit to the United States. I mean, the amount of FaceTime he got with the president and the amount of coverage he got with the, from the press was 99 to 1 compared to his opponent. Yes, I think after the two events, actually, the Holocaust commemor- the uh, commemoration of the Auschwitz 75 and the World Holocaust Forum meeting where the prime minister was seen with all of the leadership uh, you know, that came, whether it's Putin, Macron, and others and others, so he, ha- he was on center stage there. Uh, and then here... I think that the that Gantz gained by the fact that he had a private meeting uh, with Netanyahu, with uh, President Trump that he uh, by avoided the situation where he would have been seen as a second fiddle that he had his own time came out with his own statement uh, but clearly Netanyahu got the bulk of the exposure and of the hand class and hugs with the president. Right. Now, now we're doing this weekly update for almost 20 years, and you've been on this show um, even much longer than that. Uh, if I know you well, I have to, and at this point I think I do in terms of your opinions on Israel, uh, I have to assume that the, mo- the most important thing that happened at the White House uh, this week was that the president did something that um, that nobody else has done previously, and that has changed the entire conversation about the Middle East. You always talk about in the negotiating process how when you bring something up, often that item becomes where the negotiation starts from next time, and that's always very dangerous for Israel. Uh, this time, it seems the president has basically drawn lines in a completely different area and has really shifted the conversation in terms of what he feels and therefore the U.S. feels Israel needs to do to have a real peace agreement. Well, certainly it comes closer to to what Israel's basic requirements were. Uh, But again, Israel made concessions, the idea that you would have a capital of whatever the entity that will emerge for the Palestinians in a sector of East Jerusalem, but that Jerusalem would remain united, including the old city being under Israeli uh, sovereignty, I think is a you know, very big breakthrough from what had been said before, where they want to internationalize the, quote, holy basin, unquote, which was, would be a disaster, um, and, and other pr- provisions that have been suggested that would have compromised Israel's role and, and divided the city in one way or another. So, the, you know, the, you're right about the nature of the, uh, of the debate. They obviously see this administration as very pro-Israel, and the Palestinians immediately went on the attack and joined by Iran and a few others uh, in that kind of blatant attack on on the, the deal. But it is not free of concessions from Israel, and it offers so many things to Palestinians that have been completely ignored in a lot of the coverage uh, who are trying to cite this as, as being a one-sided deal. Uh, uh, when you mentioned earlier Egypt and Jordan, we're classifying them as basically having stayed silent on this? I mean, normally, normally in the old days, they'd be all over this, but they've basically stayed out at the moment? No, Egypt issued a, a, a statement, positive statement, um, qualified. 
uh, Jordan is uh, more critical of it, has not come out with a statement in support. Uh, their ambassadors did not attend the uh, ceremony. Uh, Jordan is always given a buy because they have the 70% Palestinian population, because he, the king is always you know, on the, de- the, the cutting edge of destruction. Um, uh, but at some point, they're going to have to make decisions because this really benefits Jordan immensely, that, that uh, having Israeli troops, Israeli sovereignty in the Jordan Valley solves a, a, a potential vulnerability for, for them as well. And there were benefits, economic benefits, that, would, um, that Jordan would derive as well. Uh, and if anything, that, if that would solve or uh, contain the conflict, that would give the Arab states in the region the opportunity to have more open and full relationships with Israel and would allow them to focus on the common interests of fighting Iran and an aggressive Turkey now um, to, to do other things, uh, trade, and obviously they want to benefit from Israeli technology. And, and they look at Israel as a source of stability in, in the region. So the, you know, the interests are many, and, and it will take time. It will take uh, a new leadership, perhaps, on the Palestinian side to be able to move this forward, to keep denying the people what they want, which is the opportunity to have a living and to, to you know, fulfill their aspirations. All right. Before we get to the PA, uh, UK, France, Germany... Uh, that common block, um, uh, Russia. What was their reaction to all this? Um, some were muted, and some uh, uh, England. Uh, Johnson, I think, said, had some muted, had some support, uh, expressions of support. Um, but again, the Europeans are always where they are, and that is number one. If it's President Trump proposing stuff, they're not going to be so supportive. Right. Number two, they they have always been one-sided in the in the approach on some of these issues but i think the um the response is more optimistic and more hopeful saying that it, at least it fills the void when they say that there was nothing going on and how they kept saying that they didn't believe anything would ever come forward and that they that the president would wait till the next term and even denying the existence of the plan uh, i think that this uh, you know has something on the table, and that's what they welcomed, that they that there's some basis for discussion. And now that's when negotiations then do. You define and refine what was been proposed. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, and com, on the Nahum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Two Two philosophical or you know, general points that I think, you know, th- th- this is for the children and grandchildren to make sure we, we tell them about this. Uh, the first is uh, more of a practical thing. Uh, the list, the list of offers from, I don't know, where do you want to start? 1900, 1920, 1935, the list of offers to the Arab community. Uh, to live side by side with Israel in peace has been uh, voluminous, and every one of them has ended with a no from the Arab side. So I'm assuming that there's no reason to think that they're going to change from their uh, current opinion, which is a complete no on the Trump plan. But we should remind our children and grandchildren that there has been there have been many many efforts in the past, coordinated by the UN, coordinated by the United States, etc., 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 all through the past century. Uh, to, to get something done, and Israel's always been there, or the Jewish potential Jewish state's always been there, and the uh, the other side has never been interested. So, 
when they're rejecting this one, I think it's an important reminder that they've never accepted anything. It, that is right. And I said before that uh, every negotiations, and, and if we have to only look back a few years to what Olmert and uh, Barack, as when they were prime ministers, offered, which was 95, 98%. The message here is finally coming across that the longer you wait, the more you lose. Right. And, that, and the fact is that the Arab world is sick and tired of it, that they want this issue resolved. They're tired of the kleptocracy in the, in the Palestinian Authority. The fact that, that the unrest, et cetera, which impacts their street as well, uh, and that the issue itself has been of diminishing uh, impact, and that, they, that the longer that they lay and the longer that they continue to be obstinate, <clears throat> the less support they're going to have. The countries have a lot of other issues, ranging from Iran and other security threats to their own internal economic situations. So the, uh, uh, the Palestinians, uh, the people certainly uh, would get the message that time is not on their side. As you remember, every argument always was, well, time is on the Arab side. Right. Number one, if you look at the demographic arguments, that has shifted. The political arguments, that has shifted. Never before in the negotiations did you have, uh, or would you have considered the possibility that three Arab ambassadors would be sitting there and applauding some of it and uh, being acknowledged in that, then half a dozen or more have already come out with statements that uh, one could say was supportive of the process, even if not of the specific um, requirements. And the you know the implications now, when after we've seen what went on in Syria and what we've seen and is going on, or in Lebanon or in Iraq, and the the dangers posed from the outside parties, makes this all the more imperative for them that they want this issue off the table because they want to be able to work with Israel and confront openly in confronting uh, the dangers of a, of a potentially nuclear, but certainly missile-laden Iran um, and an aggressive uh, Turkey and the uh, forces of Islamism that uh, bound in the region. These are our different circumstances. The Arab League, I know, is uh, holding urgent meetings, and they can say um, uh, this was at the request of the Palestinians. But Abbas's credibility has been so diminished, and, and he just swore to reject any American peace plan, and said that they are uh, that um, uh, he said other than with security officials, they would have no contact. You know, these kind of blatant rejections no longer sit well with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the reaction from the right in Israel, and obviously there's some sympathy here for those who don't like uh, you know anything being negotiated. I would rather have the entire Judea and Samaria annexed. I get that. Um, and then, of course, the question is if it brings Israel more security, with Egypt being the example, you know, in the long run, is it better to do this? And I understand that whole argument. But what about the left? I'm told that the media in Israel, which is dominated, of course, by the political left, has been freaking out over this whole agreement and is not, uh, and is not embracing it at all. Is that the general feeling in the Israeli media? Well, I can't say at all. I would say that uh, the left, obviously, and especially because you have an election coming up on March 2nd, is going to be jumping on it. They don't want to see Netanyahu get credit or, you know, that this would uh, detract from the, um, the legal processes and other focuses that they want to have for uh, their um, their criticism. And some of the leftist organizations here in the United States also took uh, uh, critical positions. And, and it's a little strange when they are more critical than the, the Arab countries <laughs> in the region oh, yeah, about yeah. the provisions. 
<laughs> but, you know, and, and I think in many instances, it almost looks like people haven't read the deal when they, um, when they look at it, you know, the, the right of return being resolved outside the borders of Israel. Critical, because everybody agrees that this couldn't fly, that Israel couldn't absorb them, and, and by putting it there and saying that they'll help resolve the issue, but not at Israel's expense. Um, why I tell people you've really got to read all of the provisions, look at it, and study it, and don't don't jump to conclusions about what you think or is or isn't in it. People don't take the time uh, to to actually study it and and realize it's such a complex thing that they were even able to get um, into as much detail as they did. I think is. Is remarkable. We know that you don't trust the polls in Israel, and you advise all of us at all times not to take them seriously, which we get, and you're right. But nonetheless, didn't you think that he would get, meaning Bibi, would get some bump in the polls from all of this this week? And it seems, at least based on what I'm reading, that the numbers really haven't changed much at all over the last few days. If that is true. There doesn't appear to be a change. And, um, you know, a lot of this you can say was discounted because there have been so much hype and so much build-up that the actual impact um, wasn't that great. Um, clearly, coming on the same day that he withdrew his immunity plea and that the processes against him are, are beginning, right. that the negative impact, I think, was limited. So it might be more positive than we know in terms of a reaction because he might have been much more down. Um but I think Israelis are to a degree skeptical when it comes to the proposals because they've seen it so often, uh, and I don't think that they had a chance yet to really read it and, and react to it. Uh, I think many of us who have I attended the briefing afterwards and it clarified much of the understanding. So, for instance, now Israel, and I think it goes into effect immediately, uh, that Israel agreed to a four-year freeze on development in the area uh, that would be under Palestinian control. and But at the same time, the application of, of sovereignty over the areas like the Jordan Valley, etc., would proceed as well. So that was the understanding with the United States. So you have two parallel processes, one between the United States and Israel, and one between Israel and the Palestinians, right. with the United States obviously involved. There's a rumor that Jonathan Pollard's heading to Israel in the next few days. Is there anything you could tell us to shed light on this topic? Only that we pray and hope that it's true. Um, the fact that Sahar was released from, uh, from prison in Russia was a very welcome development, uh, but I think that the Pollard case is, is such an egregious one, and everybody's just waiting I think his patience is beyond any expectation, and that hopefully he and his wife will be able to come to Israel and live normal lives and live out their years uh, there. And uh, we hope, but you never know. I, I have no reason, no, no basis to know whether it's actually going to happen or not. We spoke last week about Nama and uh, mentioned the possibility that it could cost Israel uh, to respond the way they have and, uh, you know, represent the people of Israel the way they've had because there was such an effort there, uh, both in the media and among uh, regular citizens, to get her released. Is there a practical price that was paid for her, or it's hard to really determine uh, in, in the relationship between Russia and Israel if, if Israel had to sacrifice something in order to get her out? We, 
again, in these kind of cases, it's much better that things are quiet and everybody stays face, and it's a gesture by the Russians and persistence by the prime minister. Um, whether there will be some sort of an exchange or somebody else gets released, ultimately, we don't know. But um, the good thing is she's home. Finally, on the White House piece, and you, you got to indulge me, and you always do, and I thank you for that. Uh, philosophical point, this is the second thing I wanted to mention earlier, And again, we sit down with children and grandchildren tonight. Uh, It must have been overwhelming for you. And we know your family's background. We become very familiar with your history. It must have been overwhelming for you on a variety of levels, being in the White House in Washington, D.C., in the U.S., and hearing this type of speech from the President of the United States, especially thinking back, as so many of us have over the last week, to Auschwitz. It's been on everyone's uh, minds because of the events of the last week. I, I, I could only imagine uh, the emotion you felt as you were listening to the president speak in the White House earlier this week. Uh, it, it was, in fact, very emotional, and you're right. I do have flashbacks, and especially because of the events commemorating the 75th anniversary that, that so much more information has come out. Uh, you know, 75 years later and 85 years uh, later than when they occurred, and the indifference of the world, the, the uh, lack of caring as, as the Jews were, were massacred, and the fact that, and I will tell you, the height of emotion was the fact that 60 world leaders showed up in Jerusalem. Right. And it's in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Countries that didn't want to recognize Israel's, it, it is his capital, but it also Israel's right there. And here they all had to come in Jerusalem, pay tribute to it, and then to stand there and and pledge, and I think the president of Germany's comments were very strong, acknowledging, as he did again in in Berlin, that they haven't yet come to terms with it fully. And for, as we always say each time, uh, that the number of of survivors are diminishing, and in five years or ten years there will be none left. Uh, so the eyewitnesses are gone at a time, and while they're still alive, and, and more and more discoveries of information come out, we still see the denial. We still see the people not willing to take responsibility, and those who try to engage in revisionist history, I mean, governments, uh, about their roles or the roles of their people or, or what really occurred, and uh, that you can have uh, university professors uh, denying the fact that, that the six million died and that the the um, industry of Holocaust denial continues to grow. And yet here you had uh, what was, a, I think, for anybody with sensitivity, a really moving ceremony and the acknowledgement and then the fact that it happened again in Auschwitz and that there are others and there's a meeting in Toronto, Albania coming up in, in Sweden later on, countries which weren't necessarily on the forefront of of being providing security for the Jewish communities or, or aiding and abetting are are beginning to to confront it and to have to look at this at both what happened during uh, during the war when countries that we believe were neutral were far from neutral and were more of, more engaged in collaboration with the Nazis and for them especially for young people here who did not know what Auschwitz was more than half of young Americans in a poll before did not know i think today it's very hard to believe that with all the coverage that that number hasn't changed dramatically 
Right. Whether there's sympathy or not, we don't know. But at least that the message has got out. I think that Governor Cuomo was just moved by what happened and decides to go to Auschwitz, not to speak, not to do anything, just to identify and, and announce some of the programs that, that he has on Holocaust education, et cetera. And so are others now following the lead. And, and maybe, maybe we will see out of all of this uh, a different recognition of the generation that is, feels very uh, separated from the events of 75 years ago and, and its relevancy. A couple of more things. What can you tell us about the rockets from Gaza and the response from Israel over the last 24 hours? Well, the sirens went off, as you know, and the uh, and rockets hit, and Israel responded, responded strongly. And while generally there's been a, I don't know if it's a ceasefire or some sort of agreement arrangement that generally held with Hamas, Pidgin, and others are not, and Israel's holding Hamas responsible because they are the power there. Uh, the fact that the balloons continue to fly and, and it's such an insidious uh, attack, you know, because children, they land in people's backyards and schoolyards and other things, and pe- the kids see a, a soccer ball that has an explosive inside of it tied oh. to the balloons or other incendiary devices. No, nobody talks about this. I mean, this is the most base violation of any, uh, uh, you know, laws of war or conflict. These are real war crimes when you're targeting civilians and, and, and children in such a, a horrific way. Uh, thank God that the, the effectiveness is limited and kids are aware and know not to. But what's to stop a child who sees a soccer ball landing in his backyard not to want to run out and, and uh, pick it up and, God forbid, have the consequences? What, what was Erdogan's reaction to what happened in Washington this week? Pretty muted so far, but of course he's you know he's critical of the administration, critical of Israel. But I think it was more muted than some people would have expected. And uh, do you think they're finally feeling the the home stretch of this election in Israel? It's now. I mean, tomorrow's February first, obviously a month away. Uh, are things accelerating? Because when we were there a couple of weeks ago, it looked like nobody had any interest whatsoever. I think people are exhausted from the whole process. Uh, I think they're they're worrying about a fourth round or again, it'd be inconclusive. I don't believe that's the case. I think the political leaders and others know that the tolerance level has run out. The people do not want to, to uh, emerge out of this election, again, with question marks and, and no uh, government. Uh, whether there will be a, a big change or not, we don't know. Uh, you know. Again, polls are not predictive enough to, to tell us uh, what, what, uh, who's going to gain and who's going to lose because it keeps going, uh, changing. Uh, but maybe, maybe the parties will work it out this time to come to some sort of an agreement uh, that the major parties, or that you will get enough uh, seats to have a coalition of one side or the other. What do you think of the president's uh, uh, analysis of the election process in Israel? A bit unfair or uh, or accurate? <laughs> no, I think he's he's expressing a frustration that is felt. Uh, certainly in Israel, and it's felt here in the United States, and, and because you can't make long-term commitments when you don't know what right. the end, and how come and you don't have right. a government really functioning, and and you no know, decisions are made, you still have ministers in place, but the Knesset doesn't meet, it, you know, this is, there's a limit to how long you can have this kind of paralysis. Right. I, I just I just like what he says. We have to take a look at it as if it's an as if right. it's, as if it's an issue for Washington that they have to right. examine it right. and fix. You know, it's like the funniest well, thing. That shows you how close the relationship is. Yeah. That sometimes we talk in we's. <laughs> what it should be they. 
Finally, Malcolm, um, what did you think of where the Temple Mount and its status ended up after the president's speech and revelation of the uh, uh, deal of the century? Look, given the past history and the record of, of the, the attempts to internationalize and the attempts to deny sovereignty and to, um, uh, you know, not just on our bite, but the, the only places generally, uh, I think that this is a meaningful compromise. It, it really sustains the status quo, but it declares that this area would be under Israeli sovereignty, mm-hmm. even though the Waqf would continue to control events on the mountain. They said that there shouldn't be you know, significant change to it. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they didn't bypass it and say, as was true in past negotiations, you know, we'll leave it to a final status issue. This is a, an issue for the last stage of negotiations. Right. It put it in the framework, and and now I think the Palestinians then better wake up and say, as as with the other things, that time is running out. That that new facts are being created. That the Middle East is changing. Doesn't mean it can't flip tomorrow. It doesn't mean that we won't see another wave of the protests and or, or the Islamization, the efforts of Erdogan to spread this. Muslim Brotherhood-based ideology and Iran uh, doing the same, uh, that, uh, you know, time is is not on one side or the other. The, what's on both sides is to reach an agreement and, and stop the conflict and let them focus their resources and the attention on the enemies that both face. Well said. I thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Reminder, the entire community is invited tomorrow night to the 26th Annual Ezra Witkin Yartzeit Shear. Rabbi Yechiel Drillman, Rosh Hashiva of RJJ and Edison, will speak on the topic of in-depth or not. It's all learning Torah, maximizing every day of your life. It's tomorrow night starting at 8.15 at the Almora Shul, 330 Elmora Avenue in Elizabeth, New Jersey. The book, A Boy Beyond His Years, will be given out at the Shear. Tomorrow night, 815 Elmora Shul in Elizabeth, 330 Elmora Avenue. Rabbi Achil Drillman, the 26th annual Ezra Witkin Yard Site Shear. Also a reminder that uh, Lenny Solomon, who I saw last night at the uh, big uh, Yeshiva University Maccabees victory, their 16th in a row, uh, he'll be Super Bowl Sunday at the Kingsway Jewish Center. They'll start the barbecue at 11 a.m., Schlockrock will perform from 3 to 5, and then everybody, of course, gets to watch the Super Bowl as well, and I'm sure the kosher halftime show, no doubt. Uh, that's all happening at the Kingsway Jewish Center this coming Sunday. You can contact them in Brooklyn, New York, for information about that. And, yes, kosher halftime show presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm with a big thank you to Azer Mitzion, Steinreich Communications, Abels and Hyman, uh, kosher.com, Keiko. Uh, that's all happening Sunday night, as you know with Simcha Liner, Ashley Blaker, and Mayor Kay. Uh, 1 o'clock Sunday, we're at Borough Park Eichler's uh, broadcasting between 1 and 3 on Sunday. We're doing that as a uh, as guests of uh, Eichler's in Borough Park on 50th Street and 13th Avenue. And Barry Weiss is going to be our special guest. Barry Weiss, the author of How to Fight Anti-Semitism. They will be selling her book. She'll be signing her book. Uh, and we will be speaking with her this coming Sunday at Eichler's and Borough Park between 1 and 3. You can listen at NahumSiegel.com or on the app, and you can watch, of course, at Facebook.com slash Network. So keep that in mind for Sunday. We look forward to seeing you. And Sunday morning, 
Matis is getting us off to an amazing start because Daniel Chertoff is his guest on JM Sunday, uh, the author of Palestine Posts, an eyewitness account of the birth of Israel. Daniel Chertoff with Matis during JM Sunday. Matis begins at 7 a.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday here on NSN. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Bo. With Parshas Bo, we are off and running. What does that mean? That aside from having the last three of the Makos brought on the Egyptian people, in Parshas Bo, we have the offering of the first Korban Pesach, and the actual Yitzias Mitzrayim. As we read later on in the Parsha, literally, Bayom Hazeh, at the end of chapter 12, the last verse, Vahi Be'etzem Bayom Hazeh, we didn't sneak out of Egypt, we left literally mid the day, Hotzi Hashem, Espenei Yisrael Meyeretz Mitzrayim, Hashem took out the children of Israel, literally in their legions. So it is an exceedingly rich parsha. As we know, the very first Rashi on the Torah begins with Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, some suggesting that Rabbi Yitzchak is referring to his father, Rashi being the acronym for Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, but whether it's his father or not, Rashi begins by saying the teaching that really the Torah, our constitution, should begin with laws. And specifically, which one? The law of Kiddush HaChodesh, the Jewish calendar. Because this is the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people as a people in Egypt. In fact, interesting to know that there are three mitzvos in the book of Bereshis, and the observance of these three mitzvos, the Rambam writes in his commentary to Perish HaMishnayis in the seventh chapter of Chulun, is that even though they're found in the book of Bereshis, one, the mitzvah purvu, to have children. Two, the mitzvah of milah, circumcision. Three, the mitzvah of giranosheh. In reality, these three mitzvahs are observed not because they are found in the Torah, in the book of Bereshis, but because they are found and repeated, given by Hashem to Moshe, in latter parts of the Torah. So, now, the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people, and certainly as a people, is that of Kiddush HaChodesh, the Jewish calendar. And clearly the Torah says <clears throat> that, A, this month, meaning the month that you are leaving Egypt, this is to be 
the first of the months, and as the Ramban tells us, interesting to note from the Torah, there are no names to the uh, no names to the months, just as there are no names to the days of the week in Judaism. Right, today is Yom Hashishi. Today is the sixth day of the week. And there's only one day that has a name, namely Shabbos, because we focus on Shabbos each and every day, in actuality fulfilling the mitzvah of one of the Zohar to remember Shabbos daily. And so, similarly, writes the Ramban, there are no names to the months of the year. And so when the Torah tells us at the end of the fourth book that Aharon Cohen died in the 40th year, in the fifth month, it is the fifth month from Nisan. And when the Torah teaches in Parshas Emor that Rosh Hashanah is to be in the seventh month, it is the seventh month from counting from when we left Egypt. Interestingly, the names of the months that we are in now, that we are now in the month of Shvat, these names came to us when we returned to Israel after the Babylonian exile, after the first base of Migdash was destroyed, and we were 70 years in Babel, and when we came back, as a way of saying thank you to Hashem and redeeming us from the Babylonian exile, we kept as a relic of that exile and a reminder to us that we are no longer in Babylon, we kept those names and so we have now names of the month as well. The calendar has been given to the Jewish people. What does that mean? It means that each and every month two witnesses came and when they were interrogated and they were approved by members of the Sanhedrin, who knew astronomy and who knew precisely where in the sky the moon would have been to have its appearance, and they asked the witnesses to show pictures on the wall. Was it like this? Was it like that? So it's an interesting phenomena. If indeed they knew exactly to the second when and where the moon should be, why do we need the witnesses at all? And so much so that if, listen carefully now, there is no February in Jewish calendar, meaning there's always a month of 29 days. The question is, what's tomorrow? Is tomorrow going to be, quote, day 30? Is tomorrow going to be day 1? Because witnesses are going to come, and they're going to offer testimony, and the testimony is going to be accepted by the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is going to recite, Mekudosh HaChodesh Mekudosh, that we sanctify the month. And unless they make that pronouncement of sanctification, the month is not sanctified, and it was a cloudy night after day 29, and nobody saw it, so the next day becomes automatically day 30, and the next day becomes automatically day 1. There is no continuation of day 31, etc., 32. Fine. Now, number one, we need, and God is inviting a very important principle, as we're going to develop in a moment, members of the Jewish people to come and to offer testimony, and then and only then our judicial body, the Sanhedrin, and delegates thereof, pronounce the formula of sanctification, and then the month becomes sanctified. And not only that, included in this, writes the Chinuch, 
and the Rambam is the mitzvah of Ibur Shonim. That because the lunar year, which is how we follow the calendar, We've, our months are lunar months, 29 and a half days. Only there's not a, such a thing as a half a day, so it's either 29 days or 30 days. But the lunar calendar is 11 days shorter than the solar calendar of 365. The lunar calendar is 354. If we're going to just follow a lunar calendar, then after seven years, we're going to be 77 days behind, eight years, 88 days behind, and so we're going to be observing Pesach eight years later in the middle of the winter time. And the Torah warns us in several places, including at the end of Bo and in Pashas Re'eh, right? The Torah says that you are to take note of the fact that Hashem took you out in the springtime, and in Parshas Re'eh, the Torah says very clearly, Shamor, be careful to observe Chodesh Aviv, the month of springtime, and then Vyosisa Pesach. So in order to have the calendar sync, both that our holidays should follow the lunar cycle, and yet the solar, so it shall be in the springtime, the rabbis instituted that seven out of 19 years is a leap year. Now, let's focus on one very fascinating medrash, which I believe is going to give additional insight into this very first mitzvah, the Jewish calendar, as to why this might have been chosen as the first mitzvah to give to the Jewish people. And I quote from the Medrash Rabbah on the Pasuk, HaChodesh Hazel Lochem, and it happens to be paragraph 24, Chavdalid in Parsha Tesvav in the Medrash Rabbah. And the Medrash says the following, Horoes HaLevana, when we see the Levana, and we have the practice of Kiddush Levana, Heich Tzorach Levorech, what is the Nusach, what's the text of the Bracha? So the Medrash gives three possibilities. One, Yeshmi Rabbonon Amrim, some of the rabbis taught, Baruch Mechadesh Chodoshim. And that's what we recite. Baruch Ato Hashem, blessed are you God, Mechadesh Chodoshim. Number two, Yeshmi Amrim, others said, Baruch Mechadesh Chodoshim. Blessed are you God, who sanctifies the months. And we're going to see a Malbim that says, interestingly, that prior to the Jewish people sanctifying the months, who did it? Hashem. And finally, listen to this third one, V'yesh mehem omrim, and other rabbis said, it's not Mechadesh, not Mechadesh, but listen, Mechadesh Yisrael. Wow! That God sanctifies the Jewish people. Why? She'in aim Yisrael mekachin also, because if we, the Jewish people, do not sanctify the month, ain also kadosh klum, then there's no sanctification. God has given over this responsibility slash privilege to the Jewish people to sanctify the months. So this is a very important concept that the Medrash is teaching us that Hashem, in Mitzrayim, sanctified the Jewish people and told us to, quote, run with this trait of Kedusha. 
You are a holy people. So first of all, let's understand what the parasha is teaching us. One, that we were slaves in Egypt, and we went from slavery to free men. But if that's where you stop, you are wrong. There is, as I told you, if I didn't, I'm sorry, according to the Chinuch, there are 20 mitzvot in this week's parasha. Nine positive mitzvot and 11 restrictions. If one turns to the Chinuch, to mitzvah Tes Zayin, the 16th mitzvah in the Torah, is not to break a bone of the Karban Pesach. One is to have a lamb chop for dessert, and basically, I don't have to tell you, oftentimes, especially if nobody's watching, you're going to take the lamb chop, and you're going to take the bone, bone and you're going to break it, because you're going to suck out the, the meat and the marrow that's left there, because you're going to enjoy it. The Torah says, I'm warning you, don't you dare, don't do that, it's a lab, it's a los, I say, don't do it. You can get makos for that, why, why? Because you are aristocracy, and it's not the nature of aristocrats, of royalty, to eat in such a way, it's only poor people. And even if you might be in a poor state at any particular year, you were freed as aristocracy, as royalty. So we go from slavery, not just to freedom, to aristocracy. But now the Medrash is showing us that we're going not just from freedom to aristocracy, we're going from freedom to sanctity, that God has sanctified the Jewish people. Now what does that mean? It means, number one, just like the Malbim says, in this week's parsha, that quote, he quotes the Medrash, Sha'arata until now, God gives us the capacity, God was the one who sanctified the months, and now he says, I'm giving it to you. This is a form of our emulating God. The 611th mitzvah is for man to, to emulate God. As he is kind, so are we. As he is merciful, so are we. And we can add to that list now. As he is holy and sanctifies, so do we. And so, please God, tonight, what are we going to do? We're going to lift up our cups of wine and we're going to recite the Kiddush. Wait a minute. We're at 5,780 years too late. Hashem already sanctified the Shabbos. But the answer is yes. He says to us, I did it. I want you to do the same. We add our sanctification, and indeed the Jew is to sanctify not just the time in terms of the holidays, and it's interesting, lo adu rosh, it's amazing that we control the holidays, what does that mean? It means that Rosh Hashanah cannot be on a Sunday, you want to know why? If Rosh Hashanah was on a Sunday, Hoshana Rabu would be on a Shabbos, so what? But then you couldn't clap that Hoshana, and the Minog is so strong, and Rosh Hashanah can't be on a Wednesday, and it can't be on a Friday, you want to know why? Because we don't want Yom Kippur on either or a Friday or a Sunday, so on those days, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, you ready? If that was to be the day 
following 29 of Elul, there was a big sign on the Bezdin door, Bezdin is closed, because we control time. It's not just in the abstract that we control time and for the holidays, but each and every one of us has the capacity on each and every day to make part of our time and indeed our lives holy. The time that you set aside each person, whether you're learning the daf or you're learning anything, whatever you're learning, that time should be holy, set, and appreciate. And your day revolves around my lunch hour, when I get home, my this, my that. And my time for chesed, that is holy, that a person designates, that to understand the first mitzvah that was given to us was not only the calendar, but to recognize that man has the capacity to inject holiness into the world in general and into his personal world and his personal day. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. in the A.M. Our thanks, of course, to by Yudin on this era of Shabbos Parsha's bow. Candle lighting at 451 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're getting very close to the Super Bowl. You know that. And, co- and we've been talking about the Kosher Halftime Show for a long time, and the uh, seventh edition of the Kosher Halftime Show is uh, almost ready to be uh, made available to the public and will be made available to the public this coming Sunday, just after 7.30 Eastern time, before uh, halftime of the big game. Uh, one of the key people who has been involved with us in the Kosher Halftime Show is uh, Seth Levitt, our friends at A&H, Abels and Hyman. And earlier in this show, I called Seth one of the most, if not the most, important person in America for our community when it comes to Super Bowl Sunday because he's responsible, likely, likely, he is responsible for the delicious uh, hot dogs and meats that you're going to be eating at some point during your Super Bowl celebration. Seth Levitt of Hables and Hyman A&H, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning. How are you? Tell all your friends and relatives I called you the most important person in America. Well, first, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to uh, my mother-in-law, who is a huge fan of uh, Malcolm Spiegel. Thank you. Uh, so, hello, Ellen Leibowitz. Good morning, and have a good Shabbos if we don't speak. Um, <laughs> this, but, this is your way of communicating with your mother-in-law. But, no, actually, she's the one who said she heard on the radio show that what you said, so <laughs> that's how I got the, the feedback. Well, so, I want to tell you something, Seth. If there's somebody that anybody would want to hear that they are the most important person in America, it would be one's mother-in-law. So this is, that, that is correct. That worked out real well, let me tell Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much. A busy time for you, sir. A busy time. We know grilling season in summer is busy for you, obviously, but people don't realize in advance of the Super Bowl, you have a lot of kosher hot dogs and a lot of delicious kosher meat that you've got to get out there nationwide for all these Super Bowl parties that are happening on Sunday. Uh, do, you feel, do you feel the pinch? Do you feel like the last few weeks have been busy for you guys? Wow, that's all I can say. Wow, it is so busy. It is, uh, we're we're just uh, running around the clock, filling orders, shipping orders. Uh, It's incredible. Super Bowl Sunday, interestingly, um, in terms of food consumption, second only to Thanksgiving. (laughs) Wow, unbelievable. That's how much food we're packing away this Sunday in America. (laughs) The average fan, and this is according to a study by... uh, Let's get checked. Yeah. They polled a thousand Americans uh, to find out what they were eating on game day, right. uh, and uh, we found out that uh, the average fan is going to consume two hot dogs 
and 1.7 sausages, among wings and other things. But uh, that's just incredible. Pretty uh, amazing. That, those numbers, yeah. What do you think your biggest item is? Is it the standard hot dog? Is it one of your specialty hot dogs? What, what's, what's flying off the shelves for A&H right now for Sunday's game? Well, uh, the standard hot dog is uh, obviously the top-selling hot dog. They're uh, available in a number of Costco's in the Northeast region um, in a uh, four-pack, which uh, uh, is very popular, and also uh, in all the kosher independents across the country and many uh, kosher grocery, uh, or not many supermarket chains as well. Um, our specialty items uh, do well, too. Uh, we just introduced, we, we launched... Uh, uh, a new line of uncured sausages uh, about five months ago, six months ago, and we're seeing a lot of traction in that area. Mm. Um, you know, people, you know, they want to consume a hot dog, uh, but they also want to, you know, stay healthy. So right. by providing them with this alternative of uh, uncured, no nitrate added hot dogs, uh, we're giving them that option. Some, some of our hot dogs are reduced fat and sodium. We're trying to please everybody. Plus, we should mention anybody who watches the Kosher Halftime Show this year will see it up close and personal. We should mention all the salamis and different sausages and meats that you are uh, making available to the public. Uh, the A&H line is uh, quite amazing. Lots of items, and uh, people will get a taste of it from the uh, uh, from the video on Sunday. And people can get a taste of it just by, as you said, walking into your local supermarket, especially the kosher ones, because some of them have these massive displays with a tremendous number of items from your company. So A&H is out there, and like I said... The most important man in America this week because we're going to be enjoying some delicious hot dog sausages and meats this coming Sunday. There you go. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> okay. I'm not asking you for a prediction for the game. I know that you're hoping that everybody has an amazing time this Sunday and that enjoys uh, and, and enjoys all of your great products. Um, it, I, I, we, have, we have asked you this question in the past, and the only reason I'm putting you on the spot is because we have a lot of people there who are listening right now? Has there been any progress in A and H products getting to Israel? Unfortunately, there has not been a lot of progress, or for that matter, you know, it's uh, there's not been progress getting it to Israel. We've received calls. Uh, we'd love to do it. It's, you know, it, it's difficult because it's very uh, political. Um, it's, you, uh, you know how much you know how much the kosher consumers in Israel are craving this, right? I do. Listen, <laughs> uh, they, they're they're stopping by my factory in Hillside before they <laughs> go to the airport. Before the LL plane <laughs> Newark, just to load up their suitcases. So products getting to Israel, it's just uh, clandestine. That's the way to do it. <laughs> if you if you can't buy it in Israel yet, that's the that is the way to do it. And finally, Seth, the condiments. People may not realize that A&H is in the condiment line as well. Am I right about that? You're right. What's a hot dog without mustard, right? And, and therefore, uh, and have you expanded beyond regular mustard? Are there other varieties as well? Sure. We have a, a sandwich dressing, and we have a horseradish sauce. Actually, the horseradish sauce is the uh, most popular of all the uh, mustards and dressings. Very cool. So there's a lot out and, there. Oh, folks. you know what? Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Sure. That's a product that's in Israel, by the way. Nice. That, that you could find. Uh, what can I tell you, everybody? I know that you're inviting a lot of people over, or you'll be a guest at someone's house this coming Sunday. That's the American tradition at this point, and Super Bowl parties are big, big deals. Uh, if you're in the kosher community, check out a and You have plenty of time. You can go shopping today. You can go shopping tomorrow night, and you can certainly shop all day Sunday. And our friends at A&H with their hot dogs and salamis and delicious meats and sausages, plus the condiments, uh, are a perfect way to celebrate the game and enjoy the game, the commercials, and the kosher halftime show on 
Sunday night. Seth Levitt, I thank you. We thank you for your support and your enthusiasm for what we do. And all of America thanks you for everything that you're providing this coming Sunday for uh, the Super Bowl celebrations. Thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. Seth Levitt, A&H, everybody. There you go. I'll be standing in front of the A&H display at Aaron's Casino Farms later this morning. If you want to catch me, and people have, by the way, <laughs> they, they've used the opportunity to uh, to schmooze and, uh, and and try to work their way onto the show. If you want to catch me this morning, I'll be in front of the A&H display at some point uh, examining the delicious items that uh, Seth and his company have to offer. And uh, that will be at uh, Aaron's Casino Farms in uh, in Queens, New York. So if you're looking for me, it ain't no joke when we say that I'm at Aaron's most Fridays. And uh, we'll prove that again uh, in in just a little while, frankly, uh, uh, this morning out in Queens. Uh, more coming up. You're listening to JM and the AM as we continue on a uh, Friday morning broadcast uh, with a reminder that we have an amazing weekend coming up, including our visit to Borough Park, Brooklyn. Eichler's in Borough Park this coming Sunday. Barry Weiss is going to be our special guest. They'll be selling her book. Uh, all day long at Eichler's is coming Sunday. She will be uh, signing the book starting at 1 p.m., and you get an opportunity to uh, speak with her and to hear us discuss the book with her starting at 1 o'clock all the way until 3 o'clock. You can hear it on audio at NahumSiegel.com and, of course, on the uh, NSN app, and you can watch the video at Nahum, at uh, Facebook.com slash NahumSiegel Network. Here's Eitan Katz at JM in the AM.
Papa tries to sell a little more. Penny here, 
all she told My Zadie always kept a smile And wiped her tears away Soon things will turn around Soon we're gonna say It's Shabbos now Shabbos now J.M. and the A.M. That's uh, eighth day, of course. Before that, Eitan Katz. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Believe it or not, it's time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at J.M. and the A.M. Study and you'll pray 
time to say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSegal.com, and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week, an incredible week here at JM and the AM and the NachumSegal Network. Naomi Nachman is next. Table for two is coming up. Mark Zamek. Erev Shabbos show starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Erev Shabbos music mix. Harry Rothenberg's video blog at 1 p.m. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel, Avrami, plus Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday morning, Matis wine guest between 7 and 9 a.m. Matis has a special guest on Sunday. He will speak with the uh, author of Palestine Post, an eyewitness account of the birth of Israel, Daniel Chertoff. Um, 1 p.m. Sunday, we'll be at Eichler's in Borough Park. Join us with Barry Weiss. And Sunday night, Kosher Halftime Show will be made available to the public right before halftime. Enjoy the game. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Single reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.